Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome, welcome uh, from me this morning. My name is Meg. I'm youth pastor here in the church. Um, and I'm going to be speaking to you this morning for a little while on this fabulous passage as we celebrate the day that really was the birthday of the church. And I really appreciate Julia reading that passage for us this morning. Um, it's a long one and she did it so beautifully. Um, it's an exciting passage, isn't it? It's full of all kinds of things. Uh, it's one of my favourite accounts in the whole of Scripture. One of those moments that I would have loved to have been present for, and I guess that would be true of so many of us here. What did it sound like when that wind blew through the place? What did it actually look like when what seemed to be tongues of fire appeared and separated and came to rest on them? We'd love to have been part of that for this day, but it's not uh, just what happened then. As Matt said as well, it's it's a significant moment for us. And what it means for us today, you see, we might not have been there as eyewitnesses to the events, but they've still impacted and shaped us all. Like we heard in that reading before, it's for your children and your children's children and all who are far off, not just a long way away from here, but those who are far off down history. And of course, that includes us as well. Because our bit of church only exists because of what happened in that upper room over 2000 years ago. And we're connected by time. We're connected by faith. And especially we're connected by the Spirit of God to that moment. We are a part of this thing. And as we gather even virtually this morning, we are connected and made a part. So I want to think about the bigger picture this morning and the things that are important to remember as the people of God. The truth is that even these monumental moments in Scripture aren't isolated events and they're all part of God's bigger plan. So let's think about that this morning a little bit. But... As we do that, I wanted to start by asking you a question, um, because this happens to me increasingly regularly, I'm disturbed about now. Uh, but have you ever had one of those moments where you go into another room and you can't for the life of you remember what you came in there for? Or maybe like me, you go to the shop because you need something. And when you get there, you find all those things that you hadn't remembered that you needed until you saw them. But then you come out and you've actually forgotten the thing that you went in there for in the first place. Um, I'd really appreciate if you could leave me some positive affirmation comments in the uh, the chat, please, there, just so that I know I'm not alone in this. But let me give you another for instance as well. Maybe you've started this DIY project. I know that Matt's up to his eyeballs in those at the moment. But you bump into somebody in B&Q and they look at the bag of screws in your hand and they ask what you're doing and you tell them that you refit in the kitchen. As if the bag of screws uh, should have given away the big picture of this plan that you're in the middle of renovating your house. And with those two images in mind, I want to start things off this morning by thinking a little bit about why Jesus came. <laughs> a kind of what did he come here for moment. Uh, what are you building moment? And of course, there's lots of fairly easy answers to that question. Um, it could give the answer. He came to show us how to live. He came to preach the kingdom. He came to turn our hearts back to God. He came to defeat death. He came to die for our sins. And all of these are true, but they are all just a part of what Jesus came to accomplish. They are, if you'll excuse me, just one of those items that are kind of 
necessarily picked up on the way to what it is that you're doing. Matt mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he introed this sermon series about how Luke writes in his opening exploration to Theophilus that this first book was all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And the implication is, of course, that the book of Acts now is all about what Jesus continued to do and teach. But if we're thinking about what Jesus began, how did Jesus begin to do and teach all of those things? How was he able to accomplish all of the things that he set out to do? And well, of course, he did them and he taught them all through the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is conceived, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when Mary and Elizabeth meet, they respond to each other by the Holy Spirit, singing and praising. When he's born, there's an awareness of the fact that this is no ordinary child. There's a sense of the Spirit upon him. And when prophets and prophetesses see Jesus for the first time, they're stirred by the Holy Spirit and they know that he's the one that they're waiting for. At Jesus' baptism, he experiences the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then battling the devil in the wilderness, he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins his earthly ministry. But of course, to say that Jesus did and said everything through the Holy Spirit isn't in any way to diminish Jesus as Lord. And it's not to elevate the Holy Spirit above the Son or in any way. It's also not to suggest that Father's not intimately involved in every aspect of the mission of redemption and salvation that's playing out. Because the wonderful mystery is in this thing that we call the Trinity, that whilst being three distinct persons, it's not three persons in the way that we're three persons. We might be three persons. He's not three individuals who happen to be involved in the same project. Um, he's not three who've got a plan in which they all play distinct roles. They're not involved in like a DIY project where father goes, well, I'll be the gaffer and, and son, you're the carpenter and spirit, you're the plumber. Our God is three in one and where one is so the others are two and we're going to think about that a little bit more later on the imperfect harmony of thought and action each cooperating in perfect unity to bring about this plan and this whole idea of trinity and all being involved together is really important for what we're thinking about today which is when the holy spirit comes in the birth of the church of pentecost because what we're celebrating today is not just an event that happened in isolation or even the day that a new way of doing things came into being. So, for example, the new covenant didn't destroy the old covenant. It fulfilled it, as Jesus said it would. And today isn't the celebration of the day that the disciples stopped being Jews and became Christians. It's a celebration of the day that absolutely everything changed in our human experience here on earth. It's a celebration of the day that God's spirit came and dwelt again with men. And it's a long-awaited time. It's a time that date back to the Garden of Eden when God said that his spirit would not contend with man forever. But then he can again. It's a celebration of the day that proved that the plan of redemption was outworking. It demonstrated that Jesus' death had defeated death once and for all. See, Jesus' bodily resurrection proved that death had no claim on him. But the coming of the Holy Spirit confirmed that death had no claim on us either. God has made a way through Jesus 
for us to live again in fellowship and intimacy through the presence of his spirit at work in us who is that deposit who guarantees our inheritance as Ephesians tells us so when we ask again that question why did Jesus come in a very real sense we can look at the Pentecost account and go that's why he came Yes, he came to teach and preach. Yes, he came to die. Yes, he came to save us. But he came and he walked and he talked and he healed and he preached and he delivered and he died and then he went away again. And if that's all that happened, how is that salvation? But in giving of himself to us by the presence of the Spirit at work in us and through us, the having of one who will teach us all things and guide us into all truth, present with us all the time, being in possession of the one through whom we receive power, who's another advocate, one who connects us both with Father and Son, one who intimately restores the relationship lost in that garden. Now that's salvation. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus promised. He's with us. So possessing both presence to comfort and come alongside and the power to become all that he wants us to be, that's salvation. And of course, it's just the beginning of salvation. The Holy Spirit is that deposit that guarantees our inheritance. He's a gift that has come, but he's a gift that continues to come as well. A gift that's an eternal gift that keeps on giving. And his presence, of course, is eternal life in us that starts now, but will go on forever, both for this world and the one to come. So today is the celebration of a birthday, the day when the church proper was born, if you will. But it's kind of also one of those milestone birthdays that you want to celebrate, a celebration of the day that the earth really began to experience all that Jesus began to do and teach, because it's the day that we became part of all that Jesus continued to do and to preach. We caught up in this together. So this whole series is, is titled When Jesus Builds His Church because we acknowledge that it's him that promised that he would build it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, Matthew 16 tells us. And how will Jesus build his church when he's no longer with us in the body as he was? through his spirit, at work in his people. That's how he's going to build his church. So, um, wait, somebody says, uh, is Jesus building his church or is the Holy Spirit building his church? And of course, uh, the obvious and right and true answer to both of those questions is yes. You see, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is the presence of Jesus. He's both God's Holy Spirit and the spirit of Jesus. But then, of course, there's that moment just before Jesus died when Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father and he famously declared that he and the Father were one. Anyone who'd seen him had already seen the Father and that all the words that he spoke and all of the things that he did were actually the Father living in him. Uh, so wait, I hear you say, so the Father was in Jesus. Yes, but I thought the Spirit was in Jesus. Yes, that's right. Oh. <laughs> yes, I know, okay. Anyway, during Jesus' talk in John 14, just before he went out to the Mount of Olives, um, 
he promised that not only was he sending the Holy Spirit, but he's also going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit would come in Jesus' name. But when the Holy Spirit came, he would also bring the Father in Jesus' presence. And in his final words in that whole talk, they are that if anyone loves me, the Father will love them. And we, Father and Son, will come and make our home with him. Verse 23 of John 14. So hang on a minute, let's, let's just get this straight for a minute, because it's important for us, bear with me. Jesus is going back to the Father, yeah? Yes. And the disciples are sad because he's leaving them. Yes. But Jesus says that it's better that he goes away. Yes. Because then the Holy Spirit will come. Yes. And he's going to ask the Father, and the Father's going to send the Spirit. But Jesus is also sending the Spirit. Yes, that's right. And when the Spirit comes, he'll teach and remind us of everything that Jesus said and did. That's right. But Jesus is also coming. Yep. And the Father's coming too. And of course, that's what Jesus said, which gives you one of those uh, moments. Okay, it might sound a bit complicated, but listen, the important thing is this. That Jesus' death has undone all the wrong that was ever done and made a way back for us to be in relationship with the Godhead. Pentecost is not just the birth of the church or just the day that the Spirit came. It's the day, this stage of the plan of salvation and redemption of all things comes together. It's huge. It's a huge happening and something that God has been planning since before the foundation of the world. It's a massive part of why Jesus came. But it's still only the start of the next chapter in the cosmic story that's playing out. It's a really important chapter, though, because it's the one that we play our part in. You and I get to play our part in this story, too. Our history fits into this bit of God's big story. Now, the book of Hebrews reminds us that we're all surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We're all part of a story that's bigger than us, as I was saying a few months back. The message puts it in the context of an Olympic running event where there's all these old timers looking down on us from their stadium seats. All these guys that were runners before us, cheering us on like we're their heroes as we take our plates in our part of the race. Or maybe, if you like the analogy I used earlier, as we become the bag of screws needed to fix the worktop on. But anyway, it encourages us to throw off anything that hinders us and to take our place in the race. We're part of this. Take our part. Play our part. So let's go back again to the story that Jesus continued to do and to teach. Back in that upper room and the coming of the Spirit. And remember that we don't just look back on an event that happened, but we continue this adventure of the church that Jesus is building. We step up and step in for our leg of the race. And we rejoice that he didn't leave us as orphans, but that the presence of God is with us in all that we do. I trust that you know that the giving of the Holy Spirit was not just for a season, as Matt was saying. You know, he's not something that's going to run out. He's not just for the apostles. If Jesus' plan was never to leave us on our own, how would it have been accomplished 
if the Holy Spirit only came for a short time and came to special people, we'd be right back where we were in the Old Testament. The Spirit was poured out and continues to be poured out. Salvation is come and salvation continues to come and we're part of that plan and messengers of this good news. So the disciples are all together in one place doing what Jesus told them to do. And on this occasion, of course, what Jesus has told them to do was nothing until the Spirit had been given. Why? Because Jesus knew that they couldn't be the people they needed to be and do the things that they needed to do until they'd received both the presence and the power to do it. Matt described the waiting in that upper room as a bit like a deflated balloon when he spoke the other week. And that's eminently probable and possible. Here was a group that had lost their leader. They're unsure what to do next. Um, they'd been scattered at Jesus' arrest and watched what they thought was his utter defeat. They'd had the joy and incredulity of seeing him alive again for a few weeks. But they're still confused as to the plan and asking him if it was now time for the physical presence of Israel to be established. And when they watched amazed and confused as he disappeared into heaven. Have you ever wondered how long they have stood there staring up if the angel hadn't come and told them it was time to move on? It's that kind of. What are you looking at? Moment. As the angels look between them. And up into the sky. But listen, Jesus had told them to wait. And so that's what they were doing. And there's a lesson there for the church in our context. In our 21st century rush to be ahead of the game. To be innovative. To demonstrate that we're at the cutting edge of things in our world. Of instant gratification and instant results. It's very easy to feel the pressure to move forward. Most importantly... To be seen to move forward, to do anything rather than being thought of as people that do nothing. But the truth is that that kind of pressure both within and without us can lead to an anxiousness that wrecks the peace of God inside of us. A fretfulness that leads to us running ahead of Jesus rather than waiting for him to lead the way. I've often wondered, you know, whether there were people in that upper room or no longer in that upper room, who missed the outpouring of the Spirit because they felt they just couldn't sit there waiting for something to happen at some indeterminate time in the future and they'd left on some mission of their own before it happened. I'm just going to do, we're going to, you guys sit here, we're going to. But what are those that were there? What about the ones on whom the Spirit fell that morning. What can we learn about them? What can we learn from what happened to them? And I'm just going to do three things quickly. I want to think about three things that the Holy Spirit comes to do. And they're really important things, and I think they're things that we can learn of today. So the Spirit brought unity when he came. The presence of the Spirit brought a oneness and brings a oneness to us. You know what happened in that upper room happened for all of them. They were all of them filled with the Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us. This wasn't a 
some received and some didn't moment. They all received the one spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And you know that it's the Holy Spirit that brings about our unity, right? We're not in unity because we all think the same thing or believe the same thing. It's not that we never disagree. Again, Paul says that actually there's got to be disagreements among us. They're part of discerning the mind of Christ. We're not one because we agree with each other. We're one because the Spirit makes us one. Jesus' prayer was that they may be one as we are one in the same way. It's not just a prayer for agreement. It's a prayer for oneness on a far deeper level. In the same way that Father and Son are one, I in them and you in me connect it together in fellowship through the Spirit, becoming one because there's only one Holy Spirit. And we each share the same Spirit, not different bits of him or different spirits. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, Paul said. You have unity through the presence of one Spirit. Now keep that unity by discerning the Spirit at work in each other. You know, one of the joys of being part of a Baptist church like we belong to is the acknowledgement of this truth and that in our membership and in our church meetings, we come together to discern the mind of Christ, not we come together to vote as some would suggest, or we come together to argue our corner. But discerning the work of the Spirit with us, and especially as we gather together, we're listening for the voice of Jesus through the Spirit at work in each one of us. So the Spirit brings us oneness, and he brings us unity. This is something for us all, individually, but all of us corporately as well. And the second thing I want to suggest is this, that the Spirit transformed them and enabled them. He is the Spirit that brings about transformation. So when the Spirit came at Pentecost, he enabled this deflated, confused and slightly clueless bunch to become the people of God. They went from being the insignificant bystanders at a crucifixion to the centre stage witnesses of the greatest trial of truth ever to take place on earth. They're supernaturally empowered. They receive supernatural gifts. They burst out in charismatic praise and become a witness to the truth that can no longer be hidden or contained in any upper room. You will be my witnesses, Jesus had said. And in that one day, they got to declare the truth, not only in Jerusalem, but to those from Judea, from Samaria, and even the farthest reaches of the known earth as the Spirit enabled them to speak in other languages that they'd never learned. In that one day, Jesus' words to them were fulfilled, and they've been continuing to be fulfilled ever since. But, you know, it's this first inner transformation that the Spirit brings that I want to think about for a minute. You see, the Spirit works in us for renewal and intimacy in our worship as well as working on us for our witness and our works. He brings an inner transformation that sets us in the place that God intends for his adopted children. It's a place where our loving relationship, intimacy and experience with the Father and the Son overflows in our relationship and interactions with each other. We experience God at work in our lives and then we explain that to others and extend an invitation to them. 
without an experience of God, without that transforming experience, we've got nothing to explain to others. And of course, we can't extend an invitation to meet someone that we don't know. And so this inner renewing work of the Spirit is vital to our understanding of why the Holy Spirit's given. You know, if Jesus had just come to teach us how to live well, we'd be lost. If it was just a case of follow his pattern and watch his behaviour and copy what he did, it would be hopeless. We wouldn't stand a chance. Jesus never said, never did, never thought the wrong thing. And he always had the perfect word or deed for every situation. And he healed the sick and he raised the dead and he sacrificed himself. And we might all just as well give up and go home now if all we meant to do is copy him. If the Christian life was meant to be becoming Christ-like in our own strength, we'd be utterly dead in the water. But of course we're not. Our part of disciples is not just to try harder. Our job is to let the Spirit shape us in the image of Jesus. We need to cooperate with the Spirit at work in us, but he never says, Mig, you must be more patient. You should be more loving. You ought to get that temper under control. No, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Let the Spirit teach you self-control, Mig. Instead of fighting all the time to change yourself, let the Spirit work in you, and all this fruit will ripen. In the same way, when Jesus commissioned his disciples to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons, he didn't do it without giving them the authority. He didn't expect them to be able just to copy the things that they saw him do. He gave them the power to do it. And when he told them that even greater things than these will you do, he wasn't imagining them suddenly coming up with a party trick of their own. He was anticipating the Spirit continuing to do all of the things that the Spirit had enabled him to do as he walked the earth. Which leads me just to the final thing that I want to say this morning. It's about the response of the people to the witness that was given. You see, the Spirit of God is the advocate that Jesus promised us. The Holy Spirit is the one who persuades people of the truth, the persuader of the truth, if you will. So when the charismatic renewal of the disciples took place, which led to the overflow into the street, there were those that didn't get in and started to make fun, as we heard in our reading, for them being drunk. And by the way, they must have looked pretty drunken-like, hadn't they, to be accused of something like that at nine o'clock in the morning. So sometimes, as Matt was saying with his children earlier on, when the Spirit of God comes on us, we might react in certain ways. There might be a bubbling up of laughter and joy. There might be a charismatic utterance of languages that we never speak. And there might be a shaking or a falling over or a lying down, all kinds of things. These are not the things necessarily even that the spirit comes to do but they are our reaction to the presence of the spirit at work in us and they're quite normal when a supernatural god comes and does a supernatural transformation the ordinary people that we were become extraordinary people 
And it's not surprising that there should be some outward show of that at all. But back to our story, Peter then, having been accused of drunkenness, as we heard, he stands up empowered by the Spirit. He discerns the word of God for the moment and pulls the perfect explanation from Scripture to explain what's happening. This is that, he said, and quotes from the prophet Joel. This is where the Holy Spirit does his advocacy. He presses the case home. You see, when the Bible talks about the Spirit of God being given as an advocate, it doesn't mean he's our advocate. He's not like a defence barrister who stands up and defends us against our accusers in a court of law. He's not an advocate on our behalf at all. He's an advocate for the truth. And the truth, of course, is Jesus. I am the truth, he said. So the Holy Spirit doesn't plead for us in this situation. He's more like a witness to the truth of the words that we share about Jesus. So in the Jewish court, a person could bring their case before the court and state their version of events. And then their advocates would bear witness to the fact that what we were saying was true. And so now we are those that are called to bear witness to the truth about Jesus. But alongside us is the Holy Spirit who's at work bringing conviction of the truth in the lives of the people that hear us. So let me reassure you of something. It's not your job to convert the world. Your job is to speak the truth, to talk about your experience of God, to explain these strange phenomena that happen in your life, to explain why it is that when you pray, things happen. Your job is to be an honest and accurate witness of all that you've seen and heard. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring about new birth in people. So this Pentecost morning, let's get excited again by the fact that we caught up in this big story. Let's get excited again about the fact that this was not an event that happened. This is something that began and continues and we're caught to be part of. We are the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, where we've given our hearts and our lives to Jesus. The presence of God lives within us. We are a supernatural people through whom anything is possible because God is at work in us and through us. And so let me close with this, just to summarise for you. you lovely church, are far from ordinary. You have been called out of history into his story. You are the supernatural people of God, born both of water and of the Spirit, caught up in the purposes of God and filled with the supernatural presence of God. You're both filled with the Spirit and you're going on being filled with the Spirit and because of his presence, all things are possible for you and nothing is impossible in you. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. You're priests and kings and prophets and healers in this busted world in which we live. You are the eyes and ears and the hands and feet of the Lord of life himself. 
you are enabled and empowered to go into all the world and preach the good news, to demonstrate the kingdom wherever you go. But still, you're not under pressure. His presence goes with you because, lo, I'm with you always, he says, even to the end of the age. His spirit is in you, bringing fellowship with the Godhead. There's one in you who will guide you into all truth and teach you all things. And the exciting thing is that however much you know of him now, there's always more to experience. Tonight we're going to spend some time together waiting on the Lord. We're going to come together for half an hour or so, as Matt said, and just wait as they did in that upper room. Do the thing that Jesus said. Just say, come Holy Spirit, as these people have done throughout the ages, and see what happens. Because although we're a people filled with the Spirit, we need to go on being a people filled with the Spirit. As someone said, we need to go on being filled with the Spirit because we leak. That may be true, Jesus said. He knew when power had gone out from him. And though it's never used up, we ourselves need to be renewed in him. So let's come together to wait and to pray this evening. Let's come expectant of his renewed presence among us. And let's be in a place of anticipation that God is longing to come. And meet with us even more than we desire to meet with him. And actually let's let's do a little of that now. We're going to play a song as we close. We're going to sing together the song, Here I am waiting, Lord, here I am waiting. Come and fill me again. Come live in me. Come breathe in me. Come do something new in me and I will rise. I will be borne up like one on eagle's wings. I will soar on the wind, on the breath of the spirit as he works and as he moves in me. So as we sing this song together, let's maybe you want to just just reach out your hands before the Lord. Maybe you just want to sit quietly and listen in agreement to this song. Maybe you want to sing along but whatever you do in your heart of hearts be open to what the spirit might want to do even just in this simple moment let's invite his presence in us again come breathe in me